0: delivering all the news, the informed views, and just telling great motorsport stories since 2003. Powered by theracetalk.com, this is On The Grid. <laughs> G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or whatever you're listening to us on, especially on the Radio Show Limited's RS1. Thank you for joining us. A big week where we look at what happened Down here in Melbourne, the Australian Grand Prix. A massive weekend of racing for all categories that were there, including Formula 1 and also supercars. We'll cover that off very shortly with Richard Crail and also Mark Walker to join us. And we'll have a chat to Richard too about his involvement in calling the Formula 1s for Channel 10 here in Australia. First of all though, let's have a listen to a few of the drivers and their thoughts on the Australian Grand Prix we'll kick it off with Charles Leclerc of course the man who won the Australian Grand Prix and he says having a fast car is no secret out there in the paddock
1: it feels good uh yeah i'm i'm so happy because melbourne is always a track that i've been struggling in the past i mean i've only I've only been twice before because then it was cancelled for covid but it's not a truck that fits me very well, and I've been struggling. And then in qualifying, I put everything together, and in the race, I drove exactly like I wanted to drive. So I'm, I'm very happy. But of course, this wouldn't have been possible. I think we had the best car today, and uh, it's no secret. And uh, and that's thanks to the to the team. They've done an incredible job. So I'm I'm extremely happy about the the result today. And uh, and we need to keep pushing. It's another weekend, also where you've almost put not a foot wrong across the whole weekend p1 p2 p1 i mean it
2: couldn't have been a better start to the year uh
1: yeah no no it, it couldn't be any better maybe a p1 in jeddah <laughs> but uh yeah let's not be too uh greedy uh it's uh, it's ex- exactly the approach that i wanted and, and the approach i want to keep for the rest of of the year i think um to not do any mistakes to always be there um, is extremely important and um, and yeah. For now, it's it's paying off. But we only at the third race in the championship. I will do mistakes in the in the air for sure. It happens to everyone, but I will try to do the least of it.
0: Second on the podium was George Russell, and he's pretty happy with the way Mercedes are just getting points now after a pretty dodgy start.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's been so much hard work going into this, and we know we're not quite where we want to be, but we um, we made the most of it. And as we said in Bahrain, you got to be there at the end. To, to have a shot and um, was a bit fortunate but that's how the game works sometimes sometimes it goes in your favor sometimes it goes against you and uh, we'll take it.
2: A great team result as well in circumstances where you said aren't ideal.
1: Yeah, I mean we we were probably the fifth fastest team this weekend and we came away with p3 and p4 ahead of the McLarens ahead of the Alpines um, we've got to be happy with that you know we know where we are at the moment there's so much potential in this car but we still keep on getting some good results so Um, yeah
3: let's keep
0: going third on the podium also Lewis Hamilton also pretty happy with the way Mercedes performed this weekend
3: yeah great great team result George did a great job today I got to watch the great battle he had uh, with Perez and um, yeah a bit unfortunate with the safety car but i think we did a great job today Con- uh, considering the pace deficit that we have to the guys up ahead i think we did a good job
2: is this the best that you guys can do until new bits start coming on the car just you're still taking as many
3: points as you can week end, yeah, week yeah that's that's the goal right now is why we still have these problems is just maximize uh points and, and that's what we've done today
0: aussie daniel ricardo drew the absolute wheels off his mclaren as is his teammate as it did his teammate lando norris let's have a listen to what daniel Ricciardo thought about his home grand prix
3: yeah it's uh it's nice nice to have a a positive weekend at at home uh, for sure it's been all all weekends just been a a step in the right direction and uh you know a few weeks ago in Bahrain probably uh many home fans were thinking oh no this is maybe going to be a bit of a painful home race for Daniel but uh yeah it was really nice to have such a quick turnaround you know so um, the team certainly found a bit in the last few weeks and that's that's been really nice and encouraging so Yeah, it's, uh, steps big steps in the right direction. We'll keep keep at it keep chipping away and as always still still things to improve and first part of the race I was, I was relatively happy and then second part it drifted a little bit and then came back, but um, Yeah, uh, I'll keep keep at it keep working, but are uh, happy for the team and the home crowd. It's nice to hear you saying that you were comfortable this weekend, because that's not a thing that you've been able to say a lot of your time
2: at McLaren. Does that give you confidence now going ahead that I know it's different tracks and everything will change,
1: but that must give you confidence?
3: Yeah, it's it is like it's still I think this this year has been with these new cars and I think just having another year under my belt with the team, you know, it's I do feel better. You know, I think there's still still putting it all together. You know, I, I can I can do a better job, let's say, at executing more consistently. Um, but the general comfort is, is is better for sure, and it's getting there. Um, I say getting there. I don't want to like say uh, each weekend like ah, oh, there's still like it's not like it's a case of excuses anymore. But uh, yeah, it's just uh, just me kind of as I said, kind of putting all the pieces in the right place. But uh, yeah, I think this was a maximum we could have done this week as a team, and uh, happy to walk away with good points.
0: And here's his teammate Lando Norris.
1: Yeah, I think, um, I guess a bit of a shame. We lost both positions at the start just because uh, we had a bit too much wheel spin. Um, so we just didn't get that quite right. But that happens sometimes. Um, but even after, I think their pace was much stronger than ours anyway. So whether whether or not we were ahead after the first few corners and the first few laps, uh, I think they had a much stronger race car than, than we did today. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of positive things, you know, I think, um, Realistically, we were a bit better than where we when we looked. You know, we had a, a couple issues here and there, which uh, we had to manage. So, um, I definitely should have been a little bit higher up on on track, not in terms of position, but just a uh, time. Uh, but main thing is, we had two points in a two cars in a points, two points in the car. Um, so, uh, yeah, I guess we're, we're very happy with that as a team. Good motivation for everyone, very rewarding, I guess, for, for everyone. Uh, so we're satisfied. We're happy, we're happy with that and we just need to try and continue that next
0: time. And the only Red Bull car to finish was that of Sergio Perez after, of course, his teammate Max Verstappen expired, or his engine expired anyway. This is what Sergio had to say about his Australian Grand Prix.
3: Yeah, a good result, certainly. Um, so, But a lot of work to, to do, you know, ahead and... I think these first three races, we've been quite unlucky uh, with Bahrain, with Jeddah, but um, today was a bit of a concern. I think we got a few, few things quite right wrong, fundamentally, and um, yeah, a lot of things to a lot of, a lot of things that we have to review going forward. What are those concerns? What are the top of those lists? Um, I think generally what the direction we took with the car through the weekend, both cars went very different ways, so I think we have good information to understand and, and hopefully come back stronger.
0: And we do thank Formula One.com for all the audio there that we used in our news spot. All right, let's bring in the boys to have a chat about the weekend. You're listening to the latest from around the motorsport world. On the grid. All right, joining me off the top, as he always does, is Richard Crail from theracetalk.com. Hello, Richard. Well done, Chebec. Good to be here once again, debriefing a massive,
4: massive Australian Grand Prix. I'm in our uh, theracetalk.com's Melbourne office this week. East Melbourne.
0: We've got two Melbourne Melbourne offices, haven't we? One in the west and one in the east? Yeah,
4: Yeah, we're in the east Melbourne office. I'm delighted to say that my friend and colleague, Mark Walker, is here with me. This is about as live as On The Grid has got so far in the last three years.
2: Now, Richard Crail, from my TV viewing on the weekend, uh, apparently Mark Webber is your mate. Mm. So you know what? I think for myself, being completely selfish about this, where I can see myself gaining a lot is in the six degrees of separation game (laughs) by Richard Crail slash Mark Webber. I reckon I've got most of the world covered now. Yep. No, that's that's fine. I'll tell you what you shouldn't do, Shebex, is play
4: a drinking game that every time Mark says mate is you take a drink. Or pal or
0: buddy.
2: Got to say you've played this game before. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I was smashed on Sunday, after, on Sunday afternoon. Uh, no, what, what a, a guru. What a, hey, but, hey, let's talk about legends and gurus, mate. First of all, on behalf of all of us who listen in to On The Grid, and I know that there's... Uh, you know, a, a thousand or two thousand people, whatever it is, that listen to us on a weekly basis. A lot of those people would have tuned in to you, knowing you to listen to your caller mate. There's not one person that could have said that you did a crap job because you didn't. You did an amazing job. Your knowledge was next to the best in the world. You, you, the way that you portrayed yourself, your team, and the whole race was just amazing. Mate, congratulations from everyone on the job that you did on the weekend. Well, thank you, Tony.
4: I appreciate that. Uh, team effort, though. Massive um, massive effort from Channel 10, I thought, on that broadcast. Um, it was their most motorsport-related broadcast they've done as long as I've worked with them, and I think there's massive credit for that. And guys like Scotty McKinnon and Tara Rushton, who is a genius, they're both genius TV presenters, um they did an awesome job so my job was i worked the least out of anybody on that team i just rolled into the old commentary box and yelled at some formula One cars for a minute mate my my life was easy buddy um so and and i just worked with some good gurus pal like um like mark and and tom clarkson tom clarkson's one of the nicest human beings as well in the world he's So very, very cool. But, mate, it was awesome. It was genuinely a really good life experience, and it's something I've wanted to do um, the entire time that I've talked about car racing. So, yeah, it was really, really good. There's not much more I can add to it. My brain's still fried from it, to be honest (laughs) with you. But, um, yeah, it was a really, really cool experience. And the feedback has been genuinely lovely and better than it deserves to be. But I, I thank everybody for that.
2: It, further to that feedback, uh, one of the beauties of Twitter is that you can look up people's mentions, even if they're not yourself. So <laughs> if you do a little Twitter search for at Kralsey, <laughs> you'll notice that there's been 750,000 people watch the show on the weekend and none of them had anything bad to say. And and it's a formula one. You know, if you say anything that's not quite right, you mm. are going to get called out by tens of thousands of people. They'll go on Twitter mm. and let you know all about it. So if you can get away from that, Scott free I think that's pretty good. How was the whole experience? What's Formula One commentary like compared to everything else you've done? You've commentated everything else there is to do in Australia and here you are doing Formula One. What was that
4: like? Oh, look, I don't want to burst the bubble, but it's and the only way I could approach it without freaking myself out. Um, and and I, I will tell the, the listeners to of on the grid because we're all mates and we're all sitting around the pub having a beer that. When the Formula 1 theme music played on Friday before Practice 1, um, I love that. And that it, it, I, I think everyone
2: who watches Formula 1 gets... At this juncture, can I notice that, can I say on record that you were humming it a lot yesterday? I was. Yeah. I, it's like, it wasn't just yesterday, Mark. I'll give you the hot tip. It's been about four months. <laughs> I got
4: the phone call Tuesday of Bathurst last year to do this, and uh, I think Tuesday night I was I was humming it in my sleep. Um, yeah, look, it, it's the the only way I could do the race without freaking myself out was by just making it another car race. And I know that sounds incredibly unglamorous and unFormula One, but I, I caught myself in practice one because. Anyway, I haven't missed a Grand Prix for years and either live or nearly live, irrespective of the time zone. And, you know, in in recent times, it's that that Formula One theme composed by Brian Tyler. It's a brilliant bit of sporting theatre introduction that plays and you go, it's Formula One time. How cool. And, you know, your ritual on a Sunday night, it's 10 o'clock, Grand Prix starts, theme music rolls in. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Silverstone, British Grand Prix. Bang, bang, bang. Here's the grid. Away we go. Um, when that played Friday afternoon, there was, and I don't think it was noticeable on air, but there was a brief pause because I was sitting there listening to it, watching the television, fully expecting somebody else to say hello and welcome to Albert Park.
0: <laughs> but it was you.
4: And and then the producer was in we we're going, Hugh Krause, and was like, oh, shit, that's me. I'm supposed to start talking yeah. now and it's a Formula 1 practice session. So, and I, I think the first... um. The first minute of practice one was probably a bit wonky because I was still a bit like, "How cool's this?" But honestly, after that, it was it was just you know relying on your research and your knowledge of the sport and working with Tom Clarkson, who, as I mentioned earlier, is just a lovely human being and very giving in a commentary situation. In what he gives from a, a broadcast point of view and his knowledge, and he's there to be the expert. And then we were fortunate enough to have Aussie Grit there on Saturday and Sunday, and and Mark. I think Mark's one of the, and I'm not just saying this because he's a a legend and B, um, he is your mate now, and B we're mates, but um, which is not true. But
0: um, well, well, hang on, well, let's 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 justify or clarify that. Do you have his mobile number? No, I can't answer that on air, we Well, you, you'd say yes or no. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you're mates. <laughs> End the story.
4: It's, no, we're That's not. That's an not, easy way to fix that. Colleagues, colleagues. But I think what the point I was trying to make was that I think Mark is one of the best analysts in Formula 1 because I, I genuinely think he's up there with Brundle. One, because he's very articulate, and two, because he calls a spade a bloody he spade. He does, doesn't
0: he? Yes, correct.
4: So, And we actually got him up, up him after qualifying because he, you could see him just pulling himself back a little bit after the Albon stroll, kerfuffle in Quali one, um, when it was quite clear, he actually wanted to unload it them and give them both barrels. But his commentary is incisive. He knows his stuff. He calls it like it is. And I, I think that's why he's so popular as an analyst on my channel four in the UK. still so have him. And it's why he's a, a good partner to call with on air because you get, he doesn't just waffle. He gives you, unlike me, he gives you stuff um, every time he says something on air and it's, it's relevant to the broadcast and what you're talking about.
2: So I know my Sunday, I've finished my work for the day at the track at three o'clock, raced outside, we'll go to the fence, we'll get some photos for the race talk. And quite frankly, I couldn't get near the fence. And I mean, I think this is something we can talk about in yeah. a minute. But uh, so I decided, look at this, we're busting move, go home, watch the race on Channel 10. I couldn't get 10 play to work in the car, but I did get KO to work in the car, which took the Sky Sports uh, feed, which we all have come to love over the years except there's bits in it that don't quite go very well. Like Ted, they cut to Ted at one stage and he just started waffling on about Abu Dhabi last year. Just completely random, not just grinding an axe mm. in favour of Lewis. And it's like it wasn't necessary. And even Crofty told him to pull his head in. And it's like there was none of that <laughs> in the Channel 10 side. Sam Power. How about Sam? Where has he come from?
4: I I think Sam was best on ground, to be honest with you. Um Sam was offered up to 10 by Formula One because 10 has a partnership with F1 for the free-to-wear rights. And and as part of that deal, 10, Formula One, supplies some talent from their F1 TV production. So you would have seen the lovely Rosanna Tennant pop up on the broadcast throughout the weekend. She's a lovely human being and very, very capable and and, and knows her stuff better than anyone in the paddock. Um, And we were going to have someone else, but unfortunately he got tied up with some other commitments. So F1 put Sam's name forward. Because Sam has worked in Formula 1 for a long time in the paddock club experiences and behind the scenes and giving tours and with corporates and teams and he knows everybody in, in the land. So they offered him up and, and Sam hasn't done much TV, but I drag Sam into the combox in Formula Ford races and Carrera Cup races back in the day. And as Mark will attest, he has always been a brilliant interview. And genuinely, if you're a racing car driver that's a brilliant interview, you're going to be good at the other side as well. Neil Crompton, even when Neil was just a race car driver, he was always a very good chat. Mm. You'd go and seek him out. Larco was the same. Um, Even Scaifey, as as prickly as he could be, was always a good interview. So if you can string a sentence together, you can generally do TV. And my God, he was just very, very
2: capable. I remember back in Formula Ford in 2012, when I was doing the PR for that, and we were both commentating it, Mm. if there was a big event and there was a TV interview or something... The first name I'd always put forward would be Sam, Sam even if he wasn't necessarily, you know, the lead guy in the pack. You know, you try and give all these kids a a good opportunity to talk to camera and get some experience up. But if there was a crucial one that we wanted someone who could actually string the words together, it was Sam. Yeah. A decade later, and he's there doing Formula One with yourself.
4: Yeah, yeah. And and honestly, that was probably one of the highlights is because I've known Sam for 14 years, if not a little bit more, because he's an Adelaide boy. So, of course, we know everybody is but, over there. So, but the,
2: but the backstory: he was a gamer. Yes. A turn racer. Correct. Via improved production. He was one of the to first. Formula, to Formula Four, for, Yeah, correct. Formula Ford and Formula One. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, exactly right.
4: He did right. Super Cup. He did, so he did a season of Super Cup. Yeah, he's a genuinely very good racing car driver. He's a podium finisher in Career Cup Australia. He beat some big names. Like, Stephen Richards was champion when Sam Power was in there. and And Sam beat him. So no, look, it, it, genuinely good racing car driver, and, and and added a lot to the broadcast. I'll, I'll tell you a story because he's not on, and I'll get away with it. But um, so Sam was there to be an expert, not to be a host. That's why we had people like Tara and Scotty, who are so good at what they do. Those professional TV hosts, they just they're at another level. Shebek's, you know that mm, you've worked yep, with them. Yep. Um, but we gave, or well, we the the production gave Sam a hard count. So a hard count in TV land is. We need to get to a segment, or in this case, it was a race. It was S5000. We need to get to that at, let's say, it's 10 past two exactly. So we get given on air 60 seconds, 30 seconds, 20, 10, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 to do the throw. And the idea is is that you at, when you get to one, the throw was, let's go to S5000, and your commentators are Craig Lowndes and Chad Nalon. And as you say, Nalon. You want it to be one, and they go to the S5000 race, right? Now, it's a skill, and it took me like five years to get that right because you're talking and the director's in your ear counting you down and you're trying to work out what you're going to say, blah, 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 blah. The way the rundown worked on this, um, this Sunday program, Sam was running a segment with Rosanna, and Sam was the natural lead. So, like, okay, we're going to get Sam to throw to this segment. And we were sitting watching it in the production office and everyone was like, oh, this is going to be a big test for the boy. See how he goes. And that absolutely jammy bastard nailed it, like to the count. he has been doing TV three days of his life and we were sitting there, this bunch of people that have been in TV for a long time and he absolutely smoked it. It Like, you know, making your debut at Bathurst and putting the thing on pole, he nailed the shootout. It was very, very proud of him. He did a a super job. But it was...
0: Do you have his number also? I'm looking forward to our next few weeks of our program, that's all.
4: (laughs) Well, I can tell you right here and right now that Tom Clarkson has agreed to come on to On The Grid at some point. And this is a guy, Shebex, that has done every Grand Prix every year for 20 years. Yeah. And we'll do all 23 races this year. Um, So Tom hosts F1 Beyond The Grid, which is their long-form feature one, and he hosts F1 Nation, which they produce on the Sunday night after every Grand Prix. And just to complete, while we're talking about me, um, just just to complete the sweep, Tom asked the Channel 10 collective in the afternoon on Sunday if we would like to join him on F1 Nation uh, in the paddock. And they literally just sit down in the paddock. It's it's a lot like On the Grid. I recommend you go and listen to it because it's pretty mm-hmm. loose. They sit down in the paddock and just grab people as they're walking by. Oh, Otmar now. come over, have a chat. Andrea Seidel, come over, have a chat. It feels a lot like our program. Not much production goes into it, but it's good fun. Um, so we were, the, the group of us, myself, Sam, Tara, and Scotty, were all there co-hosting it. One of the usual co-hosts is Damon Hill, Shebex. Damon oh, Hill, yeah. he's one of my favourite drivers, and here yeah. we are filling in for him. So just another um, little surreal life moment.
0: Just Podcast. a final one on you, and and, and I'm, I'm happy that you've, opened up a little bit because I know that you're a humble sort of guy and this isn't really you. It's not something that you like doing. It's talking about yourself. It's nice. Thank you. Uh, One question, though. Mm -hmm. One of your greatest skills and abilities is to get down to pit lane after each of the races that you call and have a chat to the teams and the drivers and get all that information that you need for the next broadcast, whether that be qualifying or race two or whatever that might be. Did you find that? Did you find yourself a little bit hamstrung, not being able to really do that in F one? Did it sort of restrict the amount of information that you knew?
4: Yeah, uh, I would say yes, but to an extent. If if for example, ten was doing every Grand Prix, I would say yes, uh, because it's you can't just rock up like I would at the end of a career Cup race and pick Nick McBride's brain about what yeah. went wrong on lap seven. Um, but because we were operating, it was a one-off round. It was the first free-to-air Formula One race in Australia since nine to 2019. So we, we went in with the approach of this is an audience that a good chunk of which have probably watched drive to survive. Yep. They've, They've may have caught a Grand Prix on Fox or KO at someone else's place, but probably haven't watched and sat down for a full Grand Prix for three years so we had to go at it at a reasonably high level approach and and make sure we were communicating to that audience what it was about so we could spend more time talking about who Charles leclerc was rather how the 16th lap of his long run pace on friday in fp2 was very very strong and that was the indicator where we thought the ferraris would be good we did a little bit of that because you don't want to dumb it down too much but that adding us, us finding out and talking to Charles or somebody like that of a night, we, it wouldn't have added an enormous amount to the broadcast. If you're you're Crofty and Brundle yeah, you do that because you're mixing with these guys every week. So you do get those storylines. But for our point of view, the research you can do, you know, the F1 media is so good. The amount of coverage that pops out is ridiculous. So there's so much to take in. Like I, I went into every session with a full notepad, Every session yep. of, of oh, Kevin Magnuson said this, so-and-so said this. Yeah, I, I didn't find it a drama. But if you are doing it every round, you would want to build those relationships and have that ability to wander into a McLaren and go, hey, Andreas, what's going on with your cars? Why are they terrible? Or why are you all of a sudden good? So, yeah, that's that's probably the biggest difference, to be honest with you. But when you're a, a once one-shot broadcaster doing one event, you just don't get that access, yeah, let alone yeah, have the, exactly. the time to try and explain
0: it. And you heard earlier in the news uh, segment that our access to drivers, I mean, thanks to Formula1.com, we were able to hear the words of a dozen or so drivers after the race and their thoughts on how it all went. Mark, you mentioned the crowd earlier on and how difficult it was to get close to the fence, over 400,000, an amazing number for the Australian Grand Prix for this year. Broke records that have been around for a little while. What was it like
2: out on the fence? And and as you said, trying to get around the track as a photographer? It was genuinely ridiculous melbourne's back isn't it you know melbourne's had such a torrid time over the last few years more so than practically anywhere on earth and Mm. yeah they were all back you know it was so much bigger than i've ever seen there before because typically you know you could lob up to the fence anywhere and you might be two or three back but On the weekend it was 10 back and everyone was standing on each other's shoulders to try and get a view it was ridiculous like even saturday during qualifying i just decided to no it was free practice three just walk down the demarcation lane you know i didn't have the right ticket to take photos but it was just so hard to get around if i walk around the entire outside of the track in the demarcation lane it's quicker than trying to go over the bridge across albert park lake you know there's just so many people everywhere and you know what the thing is, they were all so knowledgeable. Mm. They were all engaged, they were really into it. During qualifying, they were riding the crest of the wave with every segment that everyone was putting in, every sector lap time they were putting in. It was yeah. great. The reaction was huge. Someone would go and post a good time and they went off. Someone would put in the fence and they equally went off. You know, when Alonzo was uh coming back on his scooter after he fenced it there. Mm. Imagine that if he put that thing on pole. Like, he was so close to jamming that thing on pole. But he came back through the crowd on his scooter and it was hard for him to get back to the pits because there were just so many people there trying to uh, get a piece of him and get a part of the action. thing incredible.
4: Shebex, the thing, i I was fortunate enough to stay in South the area and and Turak Road and Chapel Street were as busy as I've ever seen them in my life. Like, they were that you would never know something had happened for the last two years. So clearly, like, the Grand Prix economy was a thing in and around that area. But I, I don't recall and, – and look, yes, there were drunken louts and idiots doing their thing at the end of a long day, drinking in, in what was quite warm conditions on all three days. But I don't recall a crowd being that just genuinely happy to be somewhere –
0: that's a very fair point, it, very it, fair they, point.
4: It was just the whole thing, like there were long queues for the, the boozers, there were long queues for the loos, but, you know, 90% of the people that I saw, they just didn't care. They were just so happy to be there and it was a genuinely up vibe. And I, I think the track invasion at the end sold all of that to the world. Like that that was just such an unbelievable mm outpouring and celebration of that weekend i think that that proved that melbourne as a city is back
2: yeah look it was hard to get phone reception Mm. which was a problem if you were trying to find your mates. it was wasn't it yes but by the same token all the fpos machines at the Mm. food and drink chaos and the merch chaos run off mobile reception so there were frustrations there where people didn't have cash and they were trying to get their beers and they couldn't so that was a, a bit of a drama that they'll clearly have to work on for the future I tell you what, though, those merch stands, holy cow, you talk about the F1 economy. Hey, if they $400 if, for a jacket, $90 for If they were taking a
0: million dollars every 10 minutes around oh. that place, it, I'm talking about all the merch stands together, I would be I'll be absolutely amazed because it, they were five or 10 deep with people coming over the top throwing cash at the guys behind the counter saying, give me that, give me that before it runs out.
4: If McLaren didn't sell a 100000 Oh, Daniel Ricardo hats! I will be blown away. And at ninety bucks and a pop. And t-shirts. Like oh, that's a million bucks in revenue, bang that, right there.
0: That's, ninety bucks for a cap was amazing for something yeah. that's worth maybe thirty, 30. on a normal time, mm. and yeah. probably cost five bucks to make,
4: if that, because they built made so many of them. They're probably two dollars <laughs> fifty each. Yeah, just just amazing. That that track invasion at the end. I, I how many AGPs have you been to? I, I reckon I've been to fourteen here. Yeah. That was Bathurst, like, wasn't it? Well, no, but no, oh, it was bigger. It was bigger, way yeah, bigger. okay. Yeah, mate. That that shot of from turn fourteen, the crowd was all the way down yeah, to they turn were, one, they? and yeah, it was it, it was Monza spec. That's yeah. probably the highest praise you could pay it. it yeah. The,
2: the disassembly crew actually had an easy job of it. Yeah. There was nothing it was left, left to put to on the back of the truck.
4: Yeah. <laughs> it was genuinely, just genuinely, such a lovely experience uh I walk walking in on sunday past the the fan walk to the paddock where all the drivers get mobbed every morning and they had a dj there for that and they were 10 deep from seven o'clock in the morning till 9 30 that night well we left the track at 7 30 quarter to eight and they were still absolutely reamed there waiting for drivers to come out and in fact one of our channel 10 producers her cousin was at the race and was looking for directions and tapped on the, this random window of a rental car trying to get an, an idea about where she needed to walk to get out. And it was Lando Norris, oh. who had no idea. Um, but like they, I rolled in on, on Sunday, and the DJ had them all singing You're the Voice. And they just, I saw just the video a, of that. That was it great. It was just a celebration.
2: It was such a wonderful thing to be part of. Uh, the, the one downside is everyone's got COVID now. The hot well, no,
0: are- well, do we, we don't know that. Don't, don't say that. We don't know that Yes.
4: <laughs> I, I, well, it would genuinely be interesting if there is a COVID spike in numbers, won't there? Like uh, yeah, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, but it'd also be
0: generally interesting, though, if there isn't, because if there yeah. isn't, then that's got to say to governments, well, hang on, maybe this isn't as bad as what we actually thought. I think they've made that decision anyway,
4: haven't they? But well, they probably have. Anyway, we get bogged down in that. But no, genuinely amazing adventure, Bex, and I, I don't think anyone who was at the 2022 Australian Grand Prix will forget it in the same way that we haven't forgotten the, um, the 2020 race as well.
0: No, exactly. let's have a look at a few of the uh, incidents from the race and and have a chat about those. It was a a fantastic win for Ferrari. And I suppose if you're going to have a Ferrari win outside of Italy, then maybe Melbourne might be the place to do it. Ligon Street went absolutely off. But I was amazed, and and I'm wondering whether it's an issue with the sport or not, when Alex Albon is actually more excited about getting one point for finishing Mm -hmm. 10th than the winner in Charles Leclerc was for actually winning the race. Oh, Charles was pretty... He was, he was pleased, but
2: he gave Elbow, himself a Elbow cut on the back
0: pumping. at the end of it. <laughs> Bob was pumping.
4: Yeah, but as he should be, he was mighty. Um, 57 laps on a set of hard tyres, and we all thought they'd do 32 or 33 before they really started to degrade. So that was a unique strategy. They went into that race with that as a plan. That was one of their options was to run the hard until they could run the hard no more. Um, and it turns out that was one lap before the end because you have to run both compounds. But I, I think it wasn't the greatest Grand Prix, Chebex, and it probably wasn't as much of a thriller as Bahrain and Saudi were. But what it's it moments. Yeah, it was it had it had moments for sure. What it did do though was prove that they've ticked a box in getting that midfield closer. Because behind Ferrari and Red Bull, okay, so the The mercedes were very decent mclaren had a good weekend but outside Mm. of that like you had a a battle between everybody else and even though williams are no good in qualifying in a race package they're actually pretty decent so yeah albon was a legitimate seventh when he pitted that was just on smart strategy and good car speed so i think the new regs have helped that they've helped draw give the f1 field slightly more of an indy car vibe where If you're not in the best team, you can still jag a big result at some point. And that's what it's lacked in the last couple of years. And that was one of the stated aims that Ross Braun and and
2: his team wanted to make happen. So what was everyone's take on the track? Uh, Obviously, I came on this very podcast last week and said it'd be turn six. And I was completely wrong Mm. because it was a bit of a combination between turn nine. We saw some guys there drop it in the F1 race Mm. and even on saturday with vettel at turn 10 but then turn 11 seemed to be the trap that caught everyone out and was one of the slowest corners on the circuit rather than one of the quick ones
0: well turn two was definitely an issue on thursdays He was that caught a fair few out with that uh that arm code barrier. Turn five turn, what was that five sorry turn five, five yeah yeah, yeah. Had, uh, halfway out the track
4: yeah, I'm glad they fixed that. Yeah, same no, here. I'm, not, I'm just
2: not sure why they moved that wall so close. But, but they did that in a few areas. There mm. were a few realignments. It's They were just baffling. Why would you even onto the pitch straight? Yes. They brought the wall in closer, which just make the makes crash, no sense. makes
4: the crash bigger, doesn't
2: it? Yeah. The,
0: the other yeah. thing, too, to add to that is what was the reason for the uh, termination of the fourth DRS zone?
4: Uh, some teams complained because it okay. didn't suit their car, <laughs> basically. Oh, they they went to the FIA with the argument of it was dangerous, which it wasn't. Absolutely rubbish. Yeah, those things produced so much downforce they could easily run with no DRS around there. But um, yeah, Ferrari and Alpine I think were the two major um, people that were a bit worried about that because they had they were battling for, for straight line speed. Um, but I, ultimately, didn't. I don't think it changed the race that much. And like you saw, Perez pass Hamilton there um, without the the advent of DRS. I think from a from a race, it was probably better than the last couple. I don't remember the last couple of AGPs particularly well, but because they're oh, a long not, time ago now, they're generally not memorable races here, though, are they? But the I think as a racing competition, it was a decent Grand Prix, and that like Turn Eleven, as Mark said, it's the most innocuous corner on the circuit. And they've made it wider and safer yep. to promote overtaking, but it's where every single person had a drama, yeah. which is great. But from well, a visual, from a visual spectacle, Chebec's like fast. Oh, yeah, fast! Yeah, but very you, fast. Yeah, properly it, fast. It's not often you make a racetrack faster, and they yep. did that.
0: And well, every like- every category had six a minimum of six seconds taken mm. out of
4: it. Yeah, but like it, it made that entry into turn nine a three hundred and twenty k an hour approach to a properly quick corner. So yeah, cool. I I, I liked it. It the irony was for mine, Mark that. I thought all of the support racing was better than it has been on General. If you take the quality of racing this year and as a whole and compare it to the last couple on the older circuit, I thought they were all better. Career Cup was better than it has been here. Yeah, Supercars, they were all on crack for some of it. That was
2: ridiculous. Yeah, And S5000 was outstanding as well. I think uh, it was funny. Like the first V8 race, with the soft tires and nobody had figured out what to do in the soft tires. It was sort of funny at the track because it was all a bit strung out, but the actual action was awesome because all Mm. these tires were Mm. falling apart and dudes wobbling off the track. You didn't know what was going to happen next. And people were out there genuinely wobbling around. It was really cool to see. Mm. And that's one thing that I sort of, and this is a very unpopular opinion and I know (laughs) I'm wrong, but, i really enjoyed watching the s5000s the carrera cup the supercars compared to the f1s the f1s just look so in control and so easy in the slot car but the sound of those supports it just adds so much to the atmosphere this Mm. is just me and i'm wrong but i just love you know you sort of realize how good a show we do have with supercars that it is a really good entertainment product that we put on
0: uh you i think i spoke to you about this richard earlier i didn't speak to you about it mark for the first time in my life i actually heard i, l- I listened to aerodynamics in these yeah. f1 cars yeah. He- yeah. did mention that. He- hearing the car it's pushing yeah. air it was just amazing pushing through that wind that was around it and, and the most obvious places where it happened more so than anything was just out of pit lane so down down the other main straight and then around the back just before turn 11 you could really hear it it was noticeable of the mm. cars just pushing through that air it was amazing they're incredible
4: racing cars, we we were fortunate enough filming some content out on pit lane on the Friday and and walked through. I don't know how it happened. Walked through the Mercedes AMG garage to get there, and um, just like one of the mechanics. G'day, mate. How are you going? Am I right to stand here and have a look around George Russell's car? He's like, sure. Uh, uh by the way, I work for Red Bull. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Go your hardest. And they. They are seriously phenomenal pieces of engineering. Uh, They're massive. They are physically very – I forget how big current Formula 1 cars are.
2: They're smaller, aren't they, this year?
4: A little bit, yeah, they are. Yeah, but they're still a huge thing. But my last F1 experience was Sam Shahin's Delara 189 at the bend, which is, no kidding, Slightly, it's probably 60% scale compared to that Merc Ames. Yeah, they're physically massive. But the engineering in them's beautiful to the but and they're all overweight too. To the point where they rocked up in testing and parts of the car that were painted black in testing are now carbon raw because the paint adds fifty grams. And and just there's little tiny bits of detail. And and even they gave the cars um some freedoms, the team, some freedoms to try and fix this porpoising issue with these little stays, which they're making out of titanium, that come out of the engine cover and hold the rear floor up, support the floor to stop it from flexing, to stop the cars from porpoising around, which they were all doing so violently that weekend. But even though, so like, oh, we're going to take some more paint off the car if we're going to put these things on, because they're adding 25 grams aside. So it's, and, but it- they're 800 kilo race cars. They're not light racing cars. Okay
2: i got to say, Sebastian Vettel really did a good solid thing by the Spectators of Australia by shunting yeah. and having his car parked in the demarcation yes. lane there so people could get up close and personal and have a good yeah. gander at them. Mm. And It's happened so many times over the weekends with cars pulled over to the side of the road that uh, you could, like me, just walking through, yeah. you could have a really good pervert what these things look like, which is uh, pretty cool.
0: Uh, a couple of final things on the Grand Prix itself. The former Mercedes and McLaren, do we expect that now to stick around and, and head to Italy? Well, the Mercs, I, the the
4: general vibe that I got from the people I was very fortunate enough to speak to, Shebex, was that Mercedes probably have a very, very good car. They've just got to fix this porpoising issue, which is causing them all their time. So when they get a new floor on that car, which they think will be perhaps not Imola in two weeks, but the, the round after, which I think is Miami, which is going to be a hell of a show. Um, they reckon that car is genuinely going to be very, very fast and should be there with the Red Bulls and the, the Ferraris. McLaren, we had uh, we spoke to Andreas Seidel after the race on the F1 Nation pod and, and he was saying that it was a combination of the track suiting the car but the new track surface played a big role in them getting a setup right that worked. So the new bitumen that the AGPC graciously laid down for Daniel Ricciardo clearly uh, to perform well. So I I think the vibe about McLaren is they're still going to be a bit hit or miss depending on on the race. But can you imagine imagine a world championship fight which has got the Ferraris, the Rebels, and Mercedes in it? I don't know yeah, when the last sure. time we had three teams competitive in the same season. So I I kind of I don't want to see them win because I'm a bit over it, but. Imagine Mercedes getting back to winning form and the kind of battle that we're going to have with the, an informed Ferrari and a Rebel that will clearly bounce back and stop their things from blowing up every week.
0: And the final thing for me is I am clearly concerned about Mick Schumacher. She was, he had a massive shunt didn't he, a couple of weeks ago and could have had an even as big a shunt here on the weekend as well. Are you talking God, about so that- the, the safety car? Yeah, where he nearly ran up the back Did of, uh, I can't remember who was the other Yuki, car was. Yuki, I think it was, in yeah. the, the AlphaTauri.
4: Tauri. Oh, yeah. man, that was close. Yeah, they've still got some work to do on their little safety car rules, don't they? It makes our rule book look so simple for supercars, the Formula One rule book, and yet,
0: well, does the virtual works safety car working
4: pretty well. I'm not a massive fan. I'm not sure it's needed. Oh, from my entertainment cap on, you want to see a safety car because it bunches the field up. I get it, and and if you're but like George Russell loves it because he jagged it and got a free pit stop and finished third because of Correct. it. Correct. Yep. So if your timing's right, fantastic. But i prefer bunching the field up and um, even if it's only for a lap and then sending them racing again. But that's probably just because I like IndyCar racing and NASCAR racing, so that's yeah. how they
0: do it. Uh, moving on to the supports, we uh, Aaron Love was fantastic for uh, three races. Uh, qualifying and, uh, and the like. But he, uh, it was an interesting move by Aaron having a chat to him. So he came over to Australia. It was a test weekend for him over in France. Of course, he's running in the uh, Cup France this year as well. But he took the option of not running with a team that he doesn't know and running at a track that he doesn't know to come and run with a team that he does know on a track that he also knows to get time in the brand-new car. And, Tewis, I'll tell you what, he's pulled the right ring on that, hasn't
4: he? Yeah. Yep, he has. He's um, he's a fast, fast young kid, Aaron. I'm excited to see how he goes. But all these drivers are about getting laps in the 992 in the new Cup car before the season. So, for him to go back to Europe, even if he doesn't know the team that he's working with, at least he knows the car and knows what it takes to get the most out of it. And didn't he just on the weekend? Yeah. We we'll talk supercars as well, Shabeky. Yeah, um, no, we'll get that. We'll get that. Okay, good. Ford, like Ford, have still not won a race yet this year. Like that's.
2: And they don't kind look like they are going to a big it deal. Place. No, no. There's a they kind of took each other out a bit there, didn't mm. they? I mean, on the you know, Shell had Shell Fee Power Racing had great qualifying form. They looked sharp. They looked like they could get get it done. And even that first race on Friday afternoon, they were in the box seat. But then literally the wheels fell off it. And yeah, look at Van Gis. Look mm. at his weekend. He extended his points lead. He qualified last, came third, <laughs> two wins and then blew the tyres off the thing in the final race and still extended his points lead. Mm. Yeah. What a beast.
0: And now it looks like uh, the majority of the Triple Eight crew all have uh, coronavirus after it was an interesting weekend in Melbourne for them. Show mm. me Gisberger not racing at the uh, Bathurst 6-hour. That's the word.
4: Yeah. So not That's the word. That was it. the reason you put out. But he well, didn't say it had COVID, did it, Shebeki? Um, oh, no, it didn't. <laughs> Do, no, Dr. Shebeki over there. No, yeah.
0: I'm, <laughs> only assu- I'm only
2: assuming. <laughs> He's reading between yeah, the lines. It might have been oh, well, just a massive hangover. Yeah, you no, know, well, I might have gone to Chaz's birthday party. And it should be because
4: he smoked the field. It's nice that he's won the championship after seven races because we can all take the rest of the year off.
0: <laughs> I'm only assuming because I actually walked past their garage at one stage. Nine races. Yeah, well, you're, Nine you're,
2: races. Super, you're the mega spreader, yeah. Tony Chebeki. Yeah,
0: yeah. Amazing. Yeah.
2: yeah. I tell you, there was some Biffo brought back there in the weekend. Yeah, Chaz, that was so frustrating when he... He drove Courtney into the fence and into me too. That was uh, pretty exciting. I haven't been hitting, hit by a supercar in a little bit. Uh, <laughs> <It's> probably <laughs> since the last Gold Coast. Yeah, yeah. No, that was really good. <laughs> Thanks for that, Chaz. But that's the sort of thing that Chaz has not got to do if he wants to win a championship. Mm. Yep. If, if Van Gis was running fourth there in that last lap, would he have taken the points for fourth or would he have speared Courtney off into the fence? What would well, Shane do? Wow. I mean, he would have already been in front. He but, would have I mean, been, yeah,
4: exactly. He would have, no, he would have executed a really nice, clean, aggressive overtake and got the position because he's, everything he touches turns to gold at the moment. But um, yeah, yeah, not ideal. I um, for a
0: uh, grade four, Grove Racing to get well, that podium? Are they the real deal? Well,
2: the Podium, they had four for the weekend. But, yeah, exactly,
0: yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Are they the are- real deal? I don't know. We, they have to do it consistently now, don't they?
4: But like they've done it, they did it at the ring at Simmons and now they've done it in the wide open, new, technical, fast Alba Park. They got those things dialed in on a new surface very well. A um, few comments about the fact that Couchy's just added some structure to that team and, and some real motivation exists within that entity now and they're um, they're really building a, a handy little race team. So I, it's exciting, but like they're ahead of Tickford almost all weekend. That team, and that's yep. massive for Kelly Grove or for Grove Racing.
2: Penright. not great for uh, Team Campbellfield. Is this why Triple Eight likes their employees to go on gardening leave when they finish? Yeah, employment? I think so. Yeah, right. Interesting. It, who? It turns
4: out who would have thought they're actually quite good. They know what they're doing.
2: Amazing, isn't it? And even then, it was still a bit of a mixed bag behind them. You know, mm. everyone had their dramas throughout the weekend. All the challenges. You know, even Van Vengas. Had a bit of a blotto there, but it's just hard for all these other guys to get any sort of consistency up. You look at uh, Cam Waters, who was on for a good result there, and he punted Will Davison off. Beyond the top few, Shebeks, Mark, is Gary Jacobson best on ground for a weekend? Well, I mean, first-year team in an old daggy car like that, three top tens for Gary Jacobson, that's uh, absolutely red hot. Macca Jones. Yeah. yeah. got a Six. Our, our friend of the show, Todd Hazelwood,
4: 10th in the championship now for Matt Stone. Yeah. He was good. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's, it's interesting season. And remember, next stop is Perth, where no one's been for decades, apparently. um, And, you know, random surface, high deck, another format. So there's a real chance that, There'll be much more variables to come out of the supercar season, which I think we all like, except for the fact that 97 is going to win it by. Um, I, can't, I
2: can't believe he's already won the race. Oh, I know. Yeah. He's yeah. already on Nats off.
4: Yeah. Yeah. They're all going there to finish second. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and just to clarify your comment, no one's been to Perth, apparently. Uh, no one's been to Perth full stop. Well, you when was the last? It was there.
4: 2019, wasn't it? Yeah.
0: 2019. We, yeah. It, well, they locked us out. They didn't want their,
4: us. Their hard border feels like it was a lot longer.
0: Mm, that, mm. Uh, they would have liked it to have been. Probably. All right, let's turn our away our attention away from the Australian Grand Prix weekend. I think we've done that. A uh, quick look at what's happening this weekend. Of course, you uh, boys are heading up for the Bathurst Six Hour.
4: We are, and uh, we're thinking, Shebex, uh, and this might be the first time Mark's heard of it, but we're going to do a little bit of a uh, road to Bathurst story. Nice. And I'm sure it will pop on various channels at theracetalk.com, but... Um, Last year, we, we did our Bathurst potlap, lap, didn't Trap we? Ball. Our non-hot lap where we both almost died. The, the coldest lap in the history it, of Bathurst. It was not hot. Uh, w- amazingly, we got away with it with uh, out a heart attack each, but you can listen to that on the on the Grid Archive. It's uh, via talk.com or yeah. mypodcasthouse.com. It's up there. Uh, we might share a sneaky little link for it again. But we thought now we've done that and given people the tour around – the venue why don't we give people a tour of getting to the venue in the first place and the most popular road trip from what i can tell for fans going to bathurst is melbourne to sit uh, melbourne to bathurst and i've never done it so we're going to drive up as you listen to this podcast we will probably be driving into bathurst uh right now um so we'll, we'll give people just like here's where you stop for a good coffee Here's a good little mm. sneaky road. I've got stories. Here's where Mark's got stories. Here's where you turn off to get off the Hume, the worst motorway in the world. Um, there, there are various little things we want to throw at you and our friends at Ford Australia, uh, and hello to Ben Nightingale, the guru PR chief there and friend of the show. He's lent us a uh, five-litre Ford Mustang GT uh, to do it, which is appropriate given the Bathurst Six Hour has, I think, five ford mustang gts in it and the one we're driving is exactly the same spec as your friend mark
2: uh marcus ambrose is driving with the 10 speed auto Well, the problem that i've got with this whole concept is that with the gt mustang we'll probably get to bathurst in about 45 minutes so you're not going to get much content out of it no easy, the other problem easy is
0: up, it up.
2: does
4: not have a very big fuel tank no uh, yeah, it and, won't be rem- a one-stop strategy. And remember,
0: you need to pay for the fuel after the after their full tank goes to zero.
4: It's at this point, Shebex, as well, we should acknowledge our great friend and loyal sponsor of the show, Doric. Uh, Doric have been loyal partners of the theracetalk.com and on the grid for a year now, and we really, <laughs> really, really, really appreciate their support uh, to Tom for uh, helping us afford the fuel to get a V8 Mustang two Bathurst from Melbourne. We, yeah, uh, we... Really appreciate their support.
0: It's seriously going to
4: be two hundred bucks yeah. each way, isn't it? Oh, probably cheaper than flying, though, and well, less chance of getting but rona.
2: You'll have to listen to the final yeah, result to we'll see look. how much. We'll do a fuel
4: right? economy check. I have already yeah, zeroed
0: don't. the trip computer as we record right now. Looking forward to that. Uh, what's going to happen in the six hour? Who wins?
4: Uh well, good question. Uh it won't be. It won't be Shane because he's not running, and that just throws the race wide open. But there's a bunch of good supercar stars in it. Chebecks. Uh Will Davo driving with Beric Linton and Tim Lay, probably the the favourites, mm-hmm. but um Shane Smolin and Rob Rubis, you had Shane last year, they've gone and got Nick Percat. So it's not a bad replacement, is it, as far as replacements go?
2: But you got Tim Slade in there, another BMW. Anton.
4: Yep. Feeney. Um yeah, the, the the list goes on it, there. That Sid.
2: is so cool. You know, like people lob up to supercars, yeah, the cars are cool, mm. but it's where all the best drivers are. Yeah. Now all these best drivers are moonlighting in all these other categories. You look yep. at TCR's racing this weekend and yeah you know, they've got some gun drivers in that. It, it's really good to see these guys. They're not just committed to supercars, they'll go and race whatever, wherever, which is uh, and the winners out of that are the fans.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Boys, we'll let you uh go get some sleep. You got a big drive ahead of you after this podcast. So thanks for your input today. Really appreciate it as always. Thank you, Shubex. As always, the pleasure is hey ours. It is. <laughs> uh safe trip. Catch you next week we'll wrap up the Bathurst six hour and preview whatever else is coming up. It'll be Perth, I think, uh, for supercars. Well are they another couple of weeks away?
4: Uh they're they're still two weeks away after yeah, Bathurst, okay. so I think they're after Easter. Yeah. God, no, well, it's been what what a wow <laughs> the start of the year. <laughs> the insanity. Uh Bathurst 12 hour, not that far away, Shabek's. No. Um and I will reach out to Tommy Clarkson and maybe get him on to talk about going to Imola because um, Formula 1 returns there to the Emilia-Romaglia Grand Prix because they're the part of the country paying for it. Um, but it will be the first one since that track's come back where they'll have a full crowd. Yeah, and if beautiful. there's mad crowds, it's a bunch of Italians at a Formula 1 race. So uh,
0: look forward to that. Catch you guys next week and we'll catch you. And thank you for listening to us right here on The Grid.